0: Royale where we pass judgment on all the kings and emperors of france from clovis to napoleon the
1: who will be selected as the creme de la creme and who will be sent to the guillotine
0: je m'appelle eliza summers
1: and i'm ben clark and eliza you're probably wondering why i reversed the intro today
0: yes yes i and am
1: F'd with your brain. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it made me be like, doubt, being (laughs) able to speak.
1: Well, it's because today we may discover a reversal of fortunes for the French. Ooh. Mm. Good or bad. That's the reason I did that. (laughs) Because
0: Okay. May as well.
1: Because it was fun.
0: (laughs) At least you're not just mind effing with me. You're going to mind eff with our listeners (laughs) too. So They're um, like what?
1: Yeah. So I hope that was an intriguing start. Um so before we get into the episode, I have mm-hmm. to issue a not it's not a correction, it's an addition oh, so to You say a warning.
0: <laughs>
1: no, not a warning. There's not not much I was talk- like
0: a- There's not much
1: to warn in this episode. There is a bit of uh, diseasy stuff in this episode, but, you know, that probably doesn't require a warning. We don't get into detail. But Henri on Facebook Mm -hmm. pointed out that we didn't mention Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: the first ever Frank coin was minted um, Mm -hmm. to pay for the ransom of John II last episode.
0: Oh.
1: Yeah. When they had to oh. uh, like send over all the money to ransom him <laughs> uh, to the English, all the, all they the money they the min- just minted because they needed like a larger denomination of coin.
0: Oh, how interesting! So
1: before that, it was all the the coinage is, is it's called like Sue and it's called ecu, um,
0: oh.
1: or French pounds. No they're also called. But,
0: ah, so now um, we're in the time of the Frank.
1: Now we're in the the, the age of the of the Frank.
0: When you say Frank, I just think of like a goosehorn honk honk.
1: Remember when I had that D&D character called uh, Gisland de la Honk.
0: <laughs> oh yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was fun. Uh. Um all right, so let's get straight into the life of Charles V.
0: Yes.
1: Charles V. He was born mm-hmm. funnily enough um, what? On, he the, was born? <laughs> on the 21st of January, 1338, which makes him an Aquarius like me. And he was born to Jean de Valois, future King John II, mm-hmm. and Bon de Luxembourg, daughter of uh, King John, a different King John, John the Blind <laughs> of Bohemia. Yes. Those are his parents. Unfortunately, his mother died when he was quite young, yeah. which is a bit Ooh. sad. Um. Okay. And his father lived for too long, so <laughs> on the sixteenth of July, thirteen forty nine, when Charles is about eleven years old ish, he gets his first title. Ooh, which is exciting, the Dauphin. The Dauphin, yeah. Yeah. So, so Humbert the ruler Humbert! of ruler of Viennois in southeastern France, is known as the Dauphin because of the dolphin on his coat of arms but he was forced to sell his county mm. uh to king philip VI. so he'd become bankrupt thanks to a failed crusade because of uh, course yeah. um and the county was actually first offered to his liege who was the holy roman emperor
0: oh.
1: um, and then to the pope who was right next door in avignon
0: and they both turned it down
1: <laughs> both turned it down they couldn't afford it uh but king philip the of france could. Like, left like, the chance? So he bought it and bestowed on his on his grandson, the future Charles V, who was thus the first Joffin. By the way, this is before the Hundred Years War starts, so hmm. the King of France actually has money. Had money. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so this was like the biggest acquisition of French territory since Philip IV incorporated oh. the Franche-Comté of Burgundy. Um... Mm. Which would nice. also come at the expense of the Holy Roman Empire. <laughs> I mean, if you look at a map of France, like 1200s-ish, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely got like a big chunk out of the eastern bit. It's like a bit skinnier, France.
0: Got a buy uh, taken out.
1: Because the Holy Roman Empire is a bit bigger. But now it's starting to like fill out a bit on the east side. So it's getting more of like Provence and mm. more of... Uh, like Lorraine, like those Mm. sorts of areas. So, now we're calling Charles the Dauphin for a bit. Yay! But yeah, as we know though, over the next 20 years, France is about to lose, uh, France is about to get skinny again. It's gained a bunch on the eastern side, but it's about to lose a bunch on the western side, which we will, we covered last episode, of course. I was about to say we will get to, we won't really get to it, because we covered it last episode. So on the 8th of April... Thirteen fifty. So the following year, the Dauphin also takes an important step in a young boy's life, which is to get married. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so
1: he marries his second cousin, Joan of Bourbon. Of course, she's named mm-hmm. Joan. Yeah. Um, and of course, she's his cousin. Uh, so he's she thus first, becomes. I guess. Yes. So she thus becomes the Dauphin. But weirdly, he actually gets married in the same year that both his father, John II, and grandfather. Philip VI six. Get remarried. Damn. Um, Because this is just after they lose both their wives in the Black yeah, Death. The oh, oh, oh. And speaking of which, the Dauphin actually had become seriously ill around what? 1349, which is when the Black Death struck. So it's possibly possible he got the plague. Um, wow,
0: survived it. That's lucky. Yeah,
1: thankfully he pulled through. But the Dauphin would be considered physically frail and weak throughout his life. Uh, I'm not sure if this is because of, because of illness that happened early on or if it's just it's how body. he was from being, like, an inbred prince. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he apparently had a, a very, like, translucent complexion.
0: Vampiric.
1: He was like a little twig of a man uh, oh. as he grew up. So... He's not necessarily anyway. got the aesthetic of, like, a leader uh, that's going to do some great things in France during yeah. that Hundred as well. But we may be we'll surprised by the Dauphin. Okay. Yeah. So during the reign of his father, John II, mm-hmm. the Dauphin is made the Duke of Normandy to add to his land in the Viennoir. But he spends most of his time in Paris with his fellow royal princes. Mm-hmm. And there he becomes closely acquainted with his cousin, Charles the Bad the King of Navarre, <laughs> who, although he holds the title of a Spanish kingdom, is chiefly concerned with his Norman County of Evra, um, yeah. and is uh, treated as a vassal of the French King, albeit yeah. a very powerful and influential one. Yeah. So the Valois at this point are like keeping him close. They even marry him to one of the Dauphin's sisters. Ah, uh, yeah. Because if he goes rogue, he'll be very dangerous, basically. Yeah.
0: that's saying, you know, keep your friends close, be enemies closer.
1: Yeah. And do you remember the reason that he would be very dangerous if it went rogue?
0: Because he would side with the English.
1: Well no, what's what's he got? Oh like Who's who's his mother?
0: Oh right. His mother's yeah. um oh what's her name?
1: She's got the one name of that women all have <laughs> in this period. Joan. Yes. Uh-huh. So his mother is Joan the Second of Navarre.
0: Ah oh, yeah. Yeah, I have who, to get that. I'm an idiot.
1: Should have been the queen of France. Um, yes. So queen and in our hearts. Yes, the queen in our hearts, and she—he's her firstborn son. So if um, we're so if we're up here saying that Joan should have been the queen, that would mean Charles the Bad would be he king now. Should be. Yeah, but she renounced that claim, so he kind mm. of technically can't claim it. Yeah, exactly. She yeah renounced the saying She was like a young girl. Um, she was made to. So he kind of you know. He's kind of mm-hmm. annoyed at that. Um, yeah, but they're be a
0: bit salty but, too. But, you know,
1: at first they're, you know, they're making nice. So as we covered last episode, Navarre started to become very outraged uh, with John II's preference of his favourite courtier, Lacerda. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, so Navarre ended up having him murdered, um, mm-hmm. at which point Navarre essentially becomes the leader of a kind of opposition party. Faction. In uh, future French mm-hmm. councils, Yeah. Uh, where he and other discontented French lords try to squeeze tax concessions and greater independence from the king in return yeah. for not rebelling. So this comes to an end in April 1356, when, as we covered last episode, the Dauphin is having dinner at his castle oh, of yeah. Rouen with Navarre as his guest, because Navarre is a lord of Normandy after all. And then King John bursts in, arrests Navarre.
0: Ruining the dinner.
1: Ruins the Dofans,
0: ruins yeah. the pleasant feast he was holding, just for some petty revenge.
1: And he executes a bunch of uh, Navarre's followers. Um, to be fair, they were murderers <laughs> who, who had yeah, not been punished at all because they were noble, so it was like kind of fair enough on Justified, John's part. yeah. But it was very um, poor
0: taste to do it at a dinner party.
1: It was very rudely done, you might say. Um, poor taste. The Dauphin's personal reaction to this event is unrecorded um he was it not just
0: pleased says it just
1: says that this was all done in front of the dauphin um but at this point he's a 16 year old who's having to sort of grow up very fast um yeah
0: having his father ruin his meals i
1: saw i saw a book that said like he was not involved in at all in politics like his father kept him out of politics but then Mm. i saw another book say that he was organizing the defense of normandy at this time so which is it um Mm. (laughs) but anyway (laughs) so he's organizing the defense of normandy against a fresh wave of english attacks which again we covered last episode and which leads us to the battle of poitiers against the black prince in september 1356
0: who's the best title the black prince it's just so good Sort of legacy, that title you just remember, everyone knows kind of thing.
1: Well, we'll get to like, the, the b- Black World. Prince and why he's not necessarily the best a bit later in the episode. I know, but, but- I just mean like
0: the title is so like good.
1: It's a good title, that- yeah.
0: I know.
1: Although the idea that he wore black armour is a myth.
0: As they always are, all the good things.
1: Apparently there are some historians now who think the Black Prince was called the Black Prince because he had a dark complexion, and it may be because his mother, Philip of Anot may have had some African descent oh. so that's an interesting theory <laughs> so anyway <laughs> Navarre's been captured by King John and mm-hmm. then King John at the Battle of Poitiers is captured by the English
0: yeah um Vacay.
1: because the Dauphin and his uncle the Duke of Orleans who by the way is like around the same age as him retreat from yes. the battle from Battle of Poitiers they're like things are getting dicey we should probably leave. Um, But John is like, no, "No, I won't let the Black Prince escape. And he charges in and he gets captured. Um, (laughs) Along with the Dauphin's brother, uh, Philip the Bold, who will become a very major going forward. Hmm. So the Dauphin is the obvious regent of France now that his father is gone. He's technically an adult by the sounds of of the time, Hmm. but he hasn't reached his 17th birthday yet. So it's like,
0: uh,
1: he's, he is still kind of a child. And he's faced with a country that-
0: Being crippled by plague and war.
1: Crippled by plague and war. And now also the horrible ransom that they have to raise for the king, uh, to get the king back. Which
0: means taxes.
1: Taxes. And meanwhile, Navarre escapes from prison. And while at first it looks like he's going to like turn to the English side, because his followers this whole time have been yeah. like helping the English. King John being captured actually kind of works in the French favour. <laughs> Navarre is like, if I get in good with the Dauphin, maybe I can control um, the Dauphin.
0: Yeah, yeah, be like the puppet master.
1: Exactly. So Navarre chooses the French side, which has become important now that Charles is facing an uprising uh, from his own people due mm. to the has to raise. And by the way, throughout, throughout this whole story mm-hmm. I'm about to tell about the people of Paris getting mad... Yeah. Navarre leaves the city because he's like, <laughs> she's like, I'm not dealing with this. Here. I'm not dealing with this. So Navarre just leaves. So it's up to the Dauphin to, to deal with this.
0: Damn. Let's see how he steps up.
1: The rising of the third estate um, is, is one of the things it's called. So we have like the Estates General. Yeah. Which is like the big council that the king calls mm-hmm. when he needs to like do something like a big tax reform. Yeah. The first estate are the clergy, the second estate are the nobility, and the third estate are everyone else. Um, yeah. Which in this case, like the people who actually would be on the council would be the urban bourgeoisie. So yeah. the wealthy merchants, the, the guild mm. leaders, that sort of thing. And the third estate at this mm-hmm. Estates General, which the Dauphin calls, seek to completely revolutionise the government. Because they're like yeah. the Dauphin has like a bunch of corrupt royal councillors trying to control him. Yeah. We want more oversight over the royal council. Yeah. They want the king's council to be elected. They want its members to include four bishops, twelve nobles, and twelve bourgeois. So basically they wanna they want more control over the government. Which mm. sounds pretty fair yeah. by the standards of us now. <laughs> yeah. But back By then the time it, was,
0: it might have been horrifying.
1: Back then it was crazy talk. <laughs> like what yeah. what what the hell what, was happening? What have
0: you been drinking? Yeah. Some and moonshine.
1: Also, everyone's like, if we do this, King John is not gonna be happy when it comes back. <laughs> um The Third Estate also demanded the release of Navarre from prison. Although this becomes a new a moot point when he
0: Yeah, he's already
1: um <laughs> this is like My before he gone. escapes, and then he and then he escapes. Uh. So it's like kind of a moot point. Um, okay. So the leader of mm-hmm. this of the Third Estate is Etienne Marcel, um, okay. who is the Provost of the Merchants of Paris, which at this stage of history essentially makes him the Mayor of, power, of Paris. Oh. He comes to power in 1356, just after John is captured, and Charles orders a debasing of coinage yeah um which is the go-to move for wanting to get more money um (laughs) so marcel organizes a strike basically
0: we're not doing this
1: yes and lists the demands that i that i've listed of wanting more control over the government and at at this stage france is looking over to what happened in flanders very recently which was taken over by jacob van Artevelde, if you remember back in philip the sixth episode so he was like a merchant who basically uh, like started the yeah. revolution kicked out the count and like installed his he got,
0: didn't he get killed or something
1: he did get killed and uh marcel yeah. may or may not have a similar fate but Ooh. but they're very much afraid that you know paris is going to become another ghent and that yeah. they, there's going to be some kind of uh, Chaos, revolution
0: uprising yeah
1: it looks even worse when Marcel teams up with another civil revolt that's happening at this point mm-hmm. called the Jacquerie okay so the this Jacquerie, which comes from the name Jacques, which is mm-hmm. a a name t- used to refer to peasants because it's like a common mm. French name that peasants have yeah so the Jacquerie was a mm-hmm. rising that had started a bit more organically around uh, yeah. Beauvais, north of Paris. Um, it, like, it started in one bi- village and then basically and then spread. Sp- spread like wildfire. which is basically uh, a mix of uh, not actually, like, peasant peasants, but, like, wealthier peasants and bourgeois artisans who are, okay. like, want- basically, once again, wanting more control over, like, their local government. Um, and wanting and like objecting to the taxes that are taxing them um also they're protesting that while taxes have increased their income hasn't increased because we've had the black death
0: lots of populations died
1: yeah and the black death is actually well the black death is actually kind of good for like the very low members of society who aren't super mad Because they've suddenly got loads of job opportunities. And Uh, they can, like, pick and choose who they work for. Because the surplus population has, like, died out.
0: Yeah. Um, They're in demand. But,
1: like, the employers, the people above them, are mad. Um, Because they're like, we don't have as many workers. We can't earn as much money. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting Ah. taxed more. So that's why they're mad, basically. Um, And this is true for both Paris and the countryside. So the mob that Marcel whips up in Paris. Eventually, after a bunch of councils and negotiations that we do not have time to get into, basically, it ends up building to a pitch, and they they storm the royal palace, um, the Palais de la Cité, uh, on the 22nd of February, 1358, with 3,000 artisans. And they storm into the Dauphin's chambers, and they murder two of his royal marshals right in front of him. Um... (gasps) Who the Dauphin also considers his men his close friends as well. Aww. So they just murder his mates, like right in front of him. And the Dauphin. Because
0: they did murder him. I guess they
1: hadn't knew Well, they don't blame the Dauphin. They blame the corrupt oh. advisors. So oh. they see themselves as, like, liberating the dofan. So they're not. Oh. This is not, like, an anti monarchy oh, Okay, okay. This it's is like, like.
0: Oh, we must save you from the evil.
1: A- exactly. <laughs> so the dofan sits up and is like, guys. Use your words. <laughs> like, stop this madness. Um, and he actually Get ends on your up- your swords. Yeah, and he actually ends up talking down the mob That's wow. just blasted into his
0: He his must house. have been a really good speaker to be able to do that.
1: Yeah. He must um, have
0: had some charisma to do that. That would so, not be an easy feat.
1: Even though, you know, he recognised the Dauphin or whatever, Marcel rather insolently at one point asks the Dauphin, when will you begin to govern? Uh, which is a bit of a, it's a bit oh, of a <laughs> little
0: snide remark there.
1: This to like a seventeen year old as well. Um
0: Yeah, it's like who's technically not king.
1: So so this was a bit of a bridge too far for a lot of the people a lot of the other people of Paris. Um Ooh. and they were also very alarmed with Marcel teaming up with the Jacquerie, which they'd Yeah been hearing all of the, these terrible things about the Jacquerie and how they were, yeah. like, murdering people out in the, in the countryside. Yeah. So the Parisians end up turning against Marcel and of one of his own former supporters ends up hacking him to death with an axe.
0: Um,
1: so after Marcel's assassination, the uprising in Paris kind of dies down and yeah. order kind of returns.
0: So case in point, just don't insult the Dauphin and things won't go wrong.
1: Yeah. Uh, the the Dauphin from this point becomes more concerned with reforming the tax system and making it more efficient yeah. rather than oh, just good. making taxes higher. Yeah. Oh, that's um, good.
0: good. So he's me.
1: learned a valuable lesson.
0: Probably also learned a lesson don't get captured because then people have to pay taxes.
1: Exactly. So, meanwhile, outside the city, Navarre, who, as I said, is now Team Dauphin, manages to, to crush the rebels at Mo. He just basically. Put, well, at Moe, fittingly, he mows them down with his cal- cavalry, <laughs> and it's a horrible <laughs> massacre of peasants that ensues. Okay, that's um, sad. Yeah, but and I liked uh, your
0: pu- your use of words.
1: Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, but yeah, the violence is so bad that Jean de Venet uh, writes, uh, even the English would have not done what the nobles did in our homeland. Damn. Um, so yeah, it's Case bad. So meanwhile, meanwhile, the English mm-hmm. are still going at it. The the war's continuing, right? So last episode we covered Edward the Third's third invasion of France, um, mm-hmm. where he sought to take the crowning place of the French kings at Rheims. Yeah. So that happens around this time, um, uh, but he sort of he sort of runs out of steam. Come the winter, and he ends up meeting the Dauphin in the town of Bretigny, it's near Paris winter. for a peace conference there the dauphin negotiates the release of his father the ransom is not as high as it could have been because the dauphin oh. agrees to exchange king philip and no, sorry king john and prince philip philip the bold in return for two other princes um anjou and berry so his other two uh, brothers yeah. basically so they agree on the p- prison exchange it's done Although, as we know, three years later, Anjou escapes captivity um, <laughs> just by walking out the door, um, and the king I think basically one of
0: my favorite moments.
1: The king just like pulls a Katniss and uh, offers himself as tribute, um, and he goes back to imprisonment in An London. Excuse
0: for a holiday,
1: and there he dies back in London on the eighth of April, thirteen sixty four.
0: Is he the only French king to die in England?
1: I believe so. Unless I'm very much mistaken, um, I'm sure
0: someone will correct us.
1: I think he, I think he is. Yeah. So the Dauphin now transforms into King Charles V of France. Yes. We don't have a very promising looking king. He's already like a sickly youth, and he and Charles is also bedeviled with grief. Um, so as well as his father, he's recently lost two of his young daughters as well.
0: Aww.
1: His hair is falling out. Um, which some believe to be, have been caused by arsenic poisoning. Oh, He's also got an infected fistula, or like an ulcer on his left Ooh. arm, which uh, had to be constantly drained of pus. And he also had gout as well, the, the disease of kings. Oh. Um, oh. He had gout at a very young age.
0: How old was he at this point?
1: He's like early 20s.
0: God.
1: Yeah, he's not With old. The stress. His physicians basically tell him that if the ulcer on his arm stops weeping, so if it dries up, Charles will die in 15 days. I don't know how scientific or accurate that is, but that's what Charles is told. So he has to constantly drain this abscess, and when it can no longer be drained is apparently when his his time's up. So keep that in mind. (laughs) That'll come back later. So um, some believed that... The ulcer, as well as the hair falling out thing, is the result of him getting poisoned. The culprit, obviously, being Navarre, the nefarious Obby. Charles the Bad. So basically, Charles, King Charles of France is like falling apart. He's fallen apart faster than France. Um, but his outward sickliness only makes him be underestimated. Um, uh, because on. what is intact is his mind. And good. it turns out his mind is He's all, a good all thing. he needs. But Charles obviously can't really lead armies in this state. Yeah. So he he needs a, a proven commander to serve as his right hand. To like guessing be, a brother? To be his sword arm. No. Oh. And this is the interesting thing. Um, so he ends up discovering a hitherto obscure hedge knight um, from, from Brittany... Who is oh. called Bertrand du Okay. who has variously been called the Eagle of Brittany and the Black Dog of Broceliande. Hmm. Broceliande being a, a an, an enchanted forest from Arthurian mythology. <laughs> oh. So he's just emerged from the forest and he's ready to fight, basically. <laughs> Damn. So he rose through the ranks during the War of Breton Succession, which has been raging throughout this time and which has been too complicated for us to get into. But he's been fighting on the French side of that. And during this war, Gekla became an expert in using guerrilla tactics as well as Fabian tactics, which is- nice. um, Fabian tactics is basically like avoiding battle and letting your enemy tie themselves out, basically. Uh, using these to bamboozle the English and- Nice make it extremely hard for them to gain a lasting foothold in the rugged hills of Brittany. Nice. Because the English tactic is to basically stand on a hill with your longbows and wait until the enemy comes to you and, and destroy them.
0: Yeah. But if they're not coming to you. Yes,
1: Get Clan is like, well I'm just not gonna come to you and I'm gonna let you like starve on your hill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and also I'm gonna like raid and harass and like sneak around you so that you can't like your... forage food and stuff like that. So <laughs> so that's Gek clan's deal um so when Charles V came to the throne he noticed that while French morale was terrible because they've lost Poitiers they've lost their king the king's now died meanwhile in Brittany morale was like higher than ever and the knights were doing really well fending off the English suddenly so Charles is basically like bring him to me
0: (laughs) you'll be my right hand
1: yes and he puts Geclan at the head of an army and this is just in time for Navarre to decide to march Rebellion. on Paris. <laughs> yes. Uh, of course. So the reason Navarre decides to suddenly turn against no the right. fan now um, is... Eliza, I'm going to have to cut out all of this stuff of you rummaging around. <laughs> Sorry.
0: I didn't realise I sound noisy. <laughs> it's
1: okay. Um, uh, so to complicate things um, a bit further... Burgundy also has mm. a succession dispute around this time. Of, of course. course. Um, Why well, have
0: one when you can have two?
1: Exactly. Which Burgundy hasn't really had a succession dispute um, in a very, very long time. Mm. Burgundy's been quite stable because the house yes. of uh, the, the Capetian House of Burgundy has been going pretty steady. They're basically the, the descendants of a son of Robert II. So they're quite far back. They're like the oldest Cabichan house outside of the royal house, Um, and they've been doing quite well right up until they run out of heirs. And that
0: will do it.
1: Yes, and this is a complicated process that you can hear more about if you listen to the Grand Dukes of the West podcast. So this is really just me like summarizing and oversimplifying a very interesting period that Josh Zucker covers in more detail
0: Mm -hmm. Um, but basically
1: the Duke of Burgundy who is also now the Count of Burgundy because they've united the two Burgundies Uh, dies at the age of 15 with no heirs because he hadn't yet consummated his marriage to his wife Margaret of Flanders okay so the Capetian House of Burgundy is now extinct and this happens in 1361 so just before the Dauphin becomes king so King John, who was still king at the time, this is when he'd, like, just got back to England, from England. Um,
0: for The first time.
1: Well, the last time. Last he time. Doesn't come, yeah, I mean, like, first capture. After the... Remember. This is between the two capture Between the two imprisonments, basically. Um, yeah. So John comes in, and he reclaims the duchy for France. Mm-hmm. Because if we go by salic law which the french are now using the duchy of burgundy should just go all the way back up and down the the male line um to the most senior member of the house of Capet, who is king john okay so john is like okay i'm now the duke of burgundy and i'm gonna give the duchy of burgundy to my second son philip the bold actually no i don't think he's the second son i think he's like I think he's the fourth son, actually. He's the youngest son, but he's the kind of the favourite son because Philip the Bold is the one that gets captured with him. Um, so Philip the Bold gets Lebald. Burgundy, and to kind of tie a little bow around it, Philip the Bold also gets married to Duchess Margaret, the widow of the last <laughs> Duke of, of Burgundy. Course. By the way, Philip the Bold is going to get extremely powerful because not only does he now have the two Burgundies and Artois as well, but Margaret's dad, Louis II of Flanders, Only has her. She's the heir to Flanders. She'll become Margaret III of Flanders.
0: Oh. Nice. That won't
1: happen for another 20 years, but people know it's going to happen. So... Yeah. Basically, this is going to create, like, a huge, powerful Eastern block for the Valois House of Burgundy, the new House of Burgundy, um, for the rest of the Hundred Years' War, which... May backfire at some point for France, but but for now it's really good because, yeah. because Charles and his brother are quite close.
0: Keeping it in the
1: fan. Exactly. So, who isn't happy about this change of things in, in Burgundy? Um, Navarre. The king of France just taking Burgundy and giving it to his son is Navarre, who, guess what, mm-hmm. claims to be the rightful heir of Burgundy through his mother, Joan <laughs> II of Navarre. Um... Because if you remember Joan the Second of Navarre, she was the daughter of Margaret of Burgundy, who was yeah. the elder sister of a Duke of Burgundy. And if you go, if you don't do the excluding all the female heirs thing, it Day would go close, close back to up to Margaret and down to Charles of Navarre. Yeah, okay. this is also part and parcel with the whole House of Capet getting so incestuous, is that you end up with. People being the heirs to multiple things because they kind of circle back to them. that equals
0: fighting.
1: Yeah. Um, and this equals fighting. So yeah, this is really just kind of a, a repeat of the same succession conflict we had with the throne of yeah. France, where it's the argument over, like, does it go to the nearest heir or do we not count women, basically? Yeah. And once again, Charles of Navarre is on the short end of the stick here. So this is the last straw for Navarre. He's done playing yeah. games. So he leads an army out of Normandy towards Paris, and he does so with aid sent by England. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of um, course. Edward
1: III is eager to stir the pot. But Navarre and England don't count on France's new secret weapon, Bertrand du Guesclin. And the two sides meet at the Battle of Cocherelle on the 16th of May, 1364. Okay. Now, at first, it looks like the English longbows and, like, strong d- defensive yeah. position will win yet again. So they see Uh, Geklan's forces kind of scatter and retreat. So they decide to chase after them, not seeing the big old flank of cavalry that's coming around from behind them. hmm. And then they basically just get wiped out by Geklan's uh, cavalry reserve. And Geklan wins with about half the numbers of the English force.
0: Damn!
1: Yeah. So Charles V receives the news of the victory just the day before his coronation at Rams. And it's considered a very he good He might have been mighty chuffed. He's mighty chuffed. He's like, this clearly shows that God is, He's is on, on my side.
0: side. I'd say that too if I was him.
1: So France is, you know, his. their king might be falling apart, but uh, the kingdom's about to have a little bounce back. Um, so Charles's first act as king is to confirm his brother Philip the Bold as the Duke of Burgundy. So he's yeah. he's twisting that knife. Meanwhile, the defeat at Cochrel was the beginning of the end for Navarre, um, mm. who now finds his military power depleted and his supporters starting to dwindle, in part thanks to opposition from the Pope, who delays recognising his claim to Burgundy.
0: That always helps.
1: And also the combined strength of the valois princes who are kind of banding together so remember charles has three brothers who he can appoint to various roles throughout the kingdom he's also got his cousins in the house of valois alencon who are also quite close to him so you know he can deploy them around and like
0: nice
1: shore up the royal he's like a
0: little chest master
1: yes yeah he's all he's doing this doing all of this just sitting in paris like at his little desk just like <laughs> I
0: can imagine him having like a chessboard, and he's labeled all the pieces like different members of the family.
1: He's, very he's like, organized. let's move
0: them to here and move that one there. He even got the specifically chess pieces carved out to look like the family members.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> or he has um, the
0: table, like in how of Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon.
1: Oh, yeah, that's what he does. and the little, the little figurine of Anju is just him like walking out a door. <laughs> That's his symbol So Navarre will end up, uh, by the end of his lifetime, completely losing all of his territory in Normandy Thanks. He ends up having to move down to Navarre Shock <laughs> horror, he actually has to live in this kingdom Oh my god! Um, yes. what? But wherever Navarre goes, trouble follows Because the next bit of yes. the Hundred Years' War will be focused on a sort of proxy war in Spain Oh. Which lasts from thirteen sixty five to thirteen sixty eight, in which basically England and France take either side of a succession dispute in Castile. Okay. So once again, we have got another succession dispute. Castile being the largest kingdom in Spain. Yes. They've it's gotten very powerful from conquering lots and lots of land from from Muslims. Mm-hmm. Spain at this point has reached the point where it's like just the kingdom of Granada in the south is the uh, yeah. the, Muslim part. the
0: last stronghold.
1: And it lasts for very, very long. Um, Yeah, I know. But basically... We
0: have a great time there. I loved Granada.
1: Yeah. But basically, the English and French, the reason that they're fighting so hard in Castile is because whoever gets their guy on the Castilian throne then gets a very powerful ally.
0: Yeah. So who's the two people fighting in Spain? Who are the two contenders?
1: There's Pedro the Cruel, um, who who is the English candidate.
0: And the French
1: candidate is Enrique de Trastamara, his uh, bastard half brother. So Charles does not go himself to this war.
0: Yeah, of course he's
1: not actually officially involved, um, <laughs> but he sends Geklan and he's like Geklan. He's unaffiliated. He's just a random knight. <laughs> um, yeah, I so don't know him.
0: He I haven't talked to him in person. He's
1: not my brother. So Gek so he sends down Geklan and he sends down a bunch of the uh, mercenary routiers or like free Ooh. companies which have been plaguing France. He gets yep. Geklan to gather them up. Do something useful with them and take them to Spain, um, okay. which is smart. The French actually, to cut a long story short, managed to win, oh. uh, in part thanks to Geklan's military prowess, in part thanks to their ally- the French alliance with Aragon. They recently allied with Aragon, oh. um, which is new. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yes, yeah, so they managed to win. So, um, so- by the way- Enrique, who becomes King Henry II yeah. of Castile,
0: is yeah, the so first nice.
1: king in the house of Trastamara, um, which oh. in a hundred years' time will produce the one and only Ferdinand and Isabella.
0: Ah, oh, nice.
1: Honestly, it feels pretty modern that we're like only a hundred years away from, from Ferdinand yeah. and Isabella. Um,
0: Closer to my coin.
1: Exactly. Um, for for, so new, for, bring that coin. for for those who don't remember, Eliza has a coin with Ferdinand and Isabel on it, and she's very yeah. excited about it. I'm um, very
0: proud of that coin. I don't even know how my mum managed to get that. She said it was cheap too. I think she got it for free from someone when she was buying heaps of coins.
1: <clears throat> so Henry of Castile is is quite a notorious king. Um, he's mm. known by the epithet Henry the Fratricide. Um, because when Geklin manages to capture his brother Pedro and hold him in his tent, Henry enters the tent and personally stabs his own brother to death. Um, yeah, so that is... I
0: suppose if you're going to get a job done, it's best to do it yourself.
1: So I'm looking forward to when Spanish our Potter, Potter gets to that, gets to both of them. Yes. Um, so uh, in recognition of his support, Henry gave clan the duchy of Molina. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Geclain is now a duke in Spain, um, although he will continue to serve France. Uh, mm-hmm. So op- upon his return to Paris, Charles V appoints him as the constable of France. So he's now officially mm. the leader of the French military. At first, Geclain tries to like refuse the honour.
0: He's like, oh, no, 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 I shouldn't.
1: So in Foissart's words, Charles tells Geclain, Sir Bertrand, I have neither brother nor cousin nor nephew nor count nor baron in my kingdom who would refuse to obey you. If any did, it would anger me so much that he would soon hear about it.
0: <laughs> I love that, not like he would die, just he'd soon hear about it. A stony worded letter.
1: It would be quite cross. <laughs> I do love Charles.
0: I will um, uninvite him from
1: the party. So Geklan agrees to take the post and they have a big party. So both Constable Guesclin as he is now known, and the newly allied King of Castile will come in handy to mm-hmm. Charles V as he starts taking the offensive to the English in the next official phase of the Hundred Years' War. So the first phase was called the Edwardian phase because it was Edward III invading France. Mm-hmm. Now the second phase is called the Caroline phase. Oh. Carolus being Charles in Latin, after Charles V, because it's now Charles invading England,
0: mm.
1: or the at least the English territory in France. Um, yeah,
0: I was about to be like, I don't remember him to England.
1: Although they they do well, he he doesn't personally go anywhere. He's just still in Paris, moving his chest. He's pieces just around. like
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> he, he's, oh. he literally
0: master's spies. I, mean, I didn't
1: want to spoil it, but Charles V literally never leads an army in his reign. And this is part of how you, amazing he is. He, if you've got he, to think about,
0: he's good at appointing people. Who exactly, do the job well.
1: Exactly, not betraying him. So yeah, it's we're no longer in the Edwardian phase. Edward the Third's glory days are over. He's now. So an old how man. many years
0: are we he's into? Declining
1: this? into the Hundred Years War. Um, yeah. It's it's about thirty years into the Hundred Years War. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Black Prince is also not quite the hero he used to be mm. either. Um, now, Eliza, last episode, you expressed a liking for the Black Prince. Um, yeah,
0: I did. I just like his title mainly.
1: His subjects in Gascony did not entirely did not. feel the same way. Um, okay. So, if you recall, okay the Gascons in far yeah. southwestern France, they really liked being under English rule because it basically yeah. got to mean they could do what they want because the English yeah. are far away and they don't kind of, they kind yeah. of don't bother them. Yeah. Um,
0: but I'm guessing the Black Prince had more of his hands in
1: there well the black prince his seat of power is bordeaux mm-hmm. so basically edward's upruling england and the black prince is down ruling the french territories um, which kind of works because you know you you want yeah you have two rulers who are loyal to each other who like, yeah. keep an eye on the Same different interest. parts of the kingdom but the gascons are like wait a minute We're now getting all of these taxes, and we are now... We
0: don't like this.
1: ...being scrutinized by the Black Prince. Things become even worse when the Black Prince uh, returns from the war in Castile, which he'd also been involved with. He's riddled with dysentery, and he's trying to extort more money out of the population because he's in, like, terrible debt from that that war. So the Gascon nobles rebel... And they basically invite Charles V to come and be their king instead. Um, <laughs>
0: like, hey, we miss you.
1: So after all of this time, after all this time of, like, the Gascons being like, we're not really French. We prefer being with England.
0: <laughs> They're like the, Gascons are us. like,
1: the Gascons are like, actually, it's rather convenient for us to be French right now.
0: <laughs> Please, sir, let us in.
1: So Charles spends the early 1370s essentially attacking the English, but in a different way that they've been attacked before. Before it was just like the king of France would just gather a big army and march or or like ride. Um, But now...
0: He's not leaving his chair.
1: Charles creates a bunch of little armies and basically just like pokes the English in many, many places. Um, oh, like
0: death by a thousand carts.
1: Exactly. He does this with particular effectiveness with a newly built navy.
0: Oh, nice. This
1: is like possibly the only time in history that France actually does well with a the navy. Um, oh, <laughs> there may be others, but but this is the first time I've seen it done so far. Uh, but basically, French build a navy, joined by an allied Castilian navy. So they got these Spanish ships as well, um, which is good. Um, yeah. And while Geklan continues leading the French army on land... Charles V appoints another military genius, Jean de Vienne, as his admiral. Mm -hmm. So not only did the French manage to win a naval victory off La Rochelle and take the strategically important Western port, but Geclain and Vienne managed to take an armed fleet into the English Channel as well. Mm -hmm. And they basically raid all the way along the south coast of England. Would you like me to list all the places that they raid? (laughs) Yes. So yes, from please. so basically from from the tip of the west coast all the way east. Plymouth, Dartmouth, Poole, Southampton, the Isle of Wight, Portsmouth, Rottingdean, Lewis, Hastings, Winchelsea, Rye, Folkestone, and Gravesend. Thirteen. Yeah. Gravesend huh. being right at the mouth of the Thames. So like oh, just a few miles close. away from London. Yeah.
0: Damn.
1: So meanwhile, the English haven't been able to Hold onto their central territory of Poitou for very long. If you remember, Poitou was handed mm-hmm. over to the English uh, during the during the treaty.
0: Negotiations.
1: Um, so the people of Poitou just decide to go back to France. <laughs> they just open the gates to get huh? when he when he like <laughs> I love approaches. That. So that happens in thirteen seventy two. So the English are profoundly shooketh. They are, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Um, <laughs> They do try to counter this with their own with a couple of cheval Um, as but you do. Not um, that
0: effective.
1: Yeah. Well, the most the, the the most effective one is in 1373, which is led by John of Gaunt, the black prince's mm-hmm. younger brother. Yeah. Um and the founder of the Plantagenet House of Lancaster as well. Yes. Um so he'll become important. But yeah, Gaunt is unable to draw Geclin into battle. Yeah. And so Geklan does the old Fabian tactics.
0: Yeah, he's like, um,
1: and he ends up turning the English around. So John of Gaunt is the most successful Chevalier, but even he's not successful. Basically, <laughs> yeah. So they they manage to get to the outskirts of Paris, but they are by that point. It's like there's no hope of them taking Paris. Like, yeah, it's too strong. And we'll get yeah. to how Charles V makes Paris stronger in in Ongarde. Oh yay! Yeah. So the best news comes in 1376 when the Black Prince succumbs to his illness and dies. Yeah. Yeah. And then in 1377 when Edward III follows his son to the grave. Yeah. Um, so they leave behind a boy king, the Black Prince's son, yes. Richard II, um, yes. with John of Gaunt as the regent. And let's just say ah, England yeah. is going to be in a bit of turmoil for a little bit. Yeah.
0: Um They're going to be a bit distracted
1: from fighting. Exactly. So while Edward III and the Black Prince were dying, in 1375, John of Gaunt, having been defeated by Géclan, had come to Bruges in Flanders to sign a treaty Mm -hmm. with Philip the Bold of Burgundy, who's acting on behalf of France. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Charles V himself, he's not the most agile, uh, uh, not not the most uh, mobile of kings, so he's like, yeah, you can go. Um, it's like you can go for me.
0: It's like I'm not leaving the comforts.
1: Yeah, so a year-long truce was signed between the two kingdoms at the insistence of the Pope. This time it's Gregory the um, mm-hmm. Eleventh, who once again plays the part of like a father separating two fighting sons. Um, so this is like <laughs> That's a the temporary Pope's only role in life. Yeah, so this truce is like a temporary band aid. They aren't able to agree on anything long-term because the Caroline phase of the war is going to last another 13 years um, oh, as nice. neither side gives much ground. But that being said, it looks at this point like the English have completely given up their claim on the French throne. They're no longer calling nice. themselves King of France. That will change eventually with a guy called Henry V. Um, <laughs> but Henry, the, Henry V is still just a glint in yeah. the milkman's eye. So he's... Yeah. We don't have to worry about him for a while.
0: I like that glint in the milkman's eye. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I stole that joke from Black Blackadder. So speaking of Pope Gregory Eleventh, he dies. What? As popes frequently do. Um, what?
0: Who would have thought? He dies in
1: 1378. And guess where he dies?
0: Avignon?
1: No, he dies in Rome. Rome? Oh, wow. Because popes Shocker. have moved back to Rome. Sort of. <laughs> we'll get to it.
0: Part time. Holiday so, vacay. We'll, summer
1: vacay. Home. Uh, definitely not. We'll get to it. Um, but so Gregory reckons, you know what? It's high time that we move the papacy back to Rome. It's been too long in, in Avignon. Yeah. This Babylonian captivity that it's it's now known as. Um, so he's like, you know, things have settled down there. Probably. We'll like, be. I'm sure. Like, we'll be fine. The mafia families have promised not to slap us. Like. It'll be fine. So I didn't know they would
0: Mafia then.
1: They basically, well, if you remember back, they have like the Colonna and the Orsini families, and they're like essentially yeah. Mafia. Like, true, they're,
0: true.
1: they're basically protection yeah. racketers. Um, true, true. So, so Gregory and his College of Cardinals, they pack up and they move back to the Vatican, or the Vatican, mm. as they would call it, because they're all French. Um, so... Um, What's Gregory then dies after about like a year and a bit uh, back in Rome. And while the College of Cardinals is once again in Italy, it looks like the next Pope will once again be French because literally all the Cardinals are French. Um, Because the last seven Popes have been French and the Popes kind of appoint (laughs) their own buddies as the the Cardinals. But the Roman nobility, the Mafia families. Aren't having that aren't huge fans of these stinky Frenchmen uh, with their bringing in their escargot.
0: And their cheese.
1: And their cheese. Um,
0: their brie and the baguettes.
1: Pretending they're in the place, you know, they, they offer them spaghetti and then the French are like, what this is this?
0: No, we have baguettes.
1: There is too much flavour. <laughs> there is not enough butter.
0: <laughs> so where is the bread?
1: So basically the, the Roman ability come forward and they're like, We're going to slap all of you if you you don't elect (laughs) an Italian as the Pope. So the Cardinals are like, fine, and they elect an Italian. They elect the extremely Italian, Bartolomeo Brigamo, um, as Pope Urban VI. And they probably think, Mm. you know, he's going to be like a handy puppet. He's just like a humble monk guy who they find out of nowhere. They pluck him out out of nowhere and they make him Pope. I mean, they don't pluck him out of nowhere. He's an Archbishop, but... You know, he's a, he's a, he's a, obscure um, he's a humble, one. he's a humble, obscure archbishop from like the far south of Italy. That's um, what they
0: think. Dun, dun, dun. That's what
1: they think. But they are wrong because uh, despite being of very humble origins, Urban ended up being pretty quick to bite the hand that fed him. Because um, <laughs> Urban took the whole vow of poverty part of priesthood very seriously. And he was mm. rather disgusted at all of these Avignon cardinals who had brought their lives of decadent luxury with them to Rome. Um,
0: He's like, we're having none of that.
1: Exactly. So Urban starts preaching very aggressively against the the sinful cardinals. And during one heated debate, Urban literally, literally threatens to slap a cardinal. Um, So it's Pope slap two, revenge of the Pope.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But wouldn't Um, the families also not be that happy? Because aren't they decadent in themselves being ruling families
1: not as much as the, the avignon yeah the french but they well okay. i mean they they definitely like pope urban more than yeah you know
0: french guy the french
1: guy they're french, yeah they're like anything's better than these these frogs um yeah <laughs> so
0: All i'm thinking of is uh monty python and they're like was it your i'm still your father smells of elderberries it might be the other way around but exactly
1: that's, they all smell of elderberries. So,
0: no,
1: so basically, no, the French no. cardinals, after being no. condemned by Urban, they're just basically like, ugh.
0: Screw you guys, I'm going home.
1: <laughs> yes, they basically say that. And they're like, we're going to make our own papacy with blackjack and hookers. Uh, literally. Oh my god,
0: that is like, five, like a five year old.
1: Yeah. And so the but French not cardinals. Blackjack
0: and hookers bit.
1: And so, guess where the French cardinals go?
0: Avignon.
1: They go back to Avignon, um, and they well. elect Pope Clement VII from among their ranks. So we now okay. have two popes. We have ourselves Ooh, a two-popes Pope, pope situation. and an pope. anti-pope. Pope and <laughs> an anti-pope. I love, Although it's I love very, an anti-pope. It's very clear which one is the anti-pope and which one is the pope. Because, mm. sure, like, the papacy is meant to be in Rome, but also it's been in Avignon for, like, nearly a century. So yeah. Avignon al- almost feels just as official. Um, True. true. And this is known as the Western Schism. Mm -hmm. Not to be confused with the Great Schism, which was the separation of the Catholic Church from the Orthodox Church.
0: This is a different schism.
1: They're all still Catholic. They're just divided as to which Catholic Pope.
0: Pick and choose.
1: So the modern Catholic Church only recognises one of these lines of Popes. And I think it's pretty obvious based on where the Pope now is, which side that is. Um, But... (laughs) <laughs> but you won't be surprised to learn that King Charles V supports the Avignon Pope. Of course. So he he'd been against Gregory's decision to move back to Italy in the first place. He's like, no, yeah. well, we were having such a good time. Um, Are
0: you leaving me? Come exactly. On.
1: You're going off my chessboard. I don't have a square for you <laughs> anymore. Yes. Um,
0: and then when he like sees him like coming back, he's <clears> like, he's like, told you this would happen.
1: Puts the he piece back on the chessboard. <laughs> yeah.
0: And he's like, stay there.
1: Although most of the French cardinals coming back would have been pleased to come back because they're like, yeah. they're home again.
0: Finally, cheese and bread.
1: Yeah. Um, no it, was really Gregory, it was Gregory who made the move and Gregory's dead now. So so basically the whole of Europe ends up getting split in two between which Pope you support. Um, mm,
0: Families divided.
1: So let's play the Who, who chooses Who, who game. Um, England
0: goes for Rome, I'm guessing.
1: Yes. So the side that is chosen becomes very much aligned with which side they're on in the Hundred Years' War. So Scotland, which is now newly under the rule of the Stuart dynasty, New House in Scotland, Ooh. chooses Avignon, because they are on the French side, as does France's other allies in Spain. It's so Spain. Castile and Aragon both uh yeah. side with Avignon. Also Cyprus, which still oh, yeah. ha- somehow is ruled by the Crusaders. Um, <laughs> about them they're still clinging on. Um, and also Naples, which is um,
0: also forgot Charles
1: V's that. brother, Anjou, ends up becoming mm. the next king of Naples.
0: Oh.
1: Outside of Naples, which is still under French rule, uh, the rest yeah. of the Italian city states support Rome. Of
0: course. Um,
1: of course. The Holy Roman Emperor in Germany kind of flips back and forth depending on who the emperor is,
0: <laughs> depending on his mood.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the Luxembourgs are very pro French, so they are Avignon. Yeah. But the Wittelsbachs Vittlesbach. are very pro anything but France, so they choose Rome. Yeah. Portugal also flips back and forth a bit, mm-hmm. because Portugal is closer to Avignon, but also kind of sometimes allies with England. And Depends meanwhile, the more distant kingdoms of Denmark, Sweden, Poland, and Hungary are like Rome, because... Yeah. That's how it's meant to be.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So that is my extremely simplistic summary of the Western schism, which will Very well continue done. to be a thing for a little while. Um, and it will have a kind of background effect on things that happen because yeah. having two popes means that there's less of an authority figure to be to like break people
0: Controlling. up.
1: Controlling. Because yeah. when the Pope comes in and tries when to kid, break up yeah. France and England, the kids are like, well, you're not my real dad. <laughs> <laughs> this other guy's my real dad <laughs> so yeah, that will affect Watching things
0: teenagers, for... moody teenagers like, God, yeah. you're not even my real dad slam the door
1: so that'll affect things for a little while meanwhile, back in France Charles V finds his main goals accomplished um, Yay. he's won back control over Normandy from Charles of Navarre nice. uh, he's recovered most of the territory that the French lost in the Treaty of Brittany. Um, nice. And he's brought the French finances back into the black. He's no longer in terrible debt.
0: Nice. Yeah. Oh, good on him. He's doing very well. And
1: I'll we'll say. get into more of how he accomplishes these in the rounds. But all of this happens just in time for Charles's ulcer to dry up. Oh, no! And remember what happens when days. the ulcer dries up.
0: 15 days!
1: 15 days. <laughs> so Charles departs from this mortal coil on the 16th of September, 1380, leaving behind his 11 year old firstborn Charles VI as king. <laughs> Meanwhile, his three brothers Anjou, Barry, and Burgundy rule as joint regents. Yes, because his wife, spoiler alert, is also dead at this point. Aww. Um, yeah. So he only she... had
0: one kid.
1: Oh no, he has multiple kids, but they're oh. younger. <laughs> so, okay. Like they can't help out. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm sure this joint regency between three powerful dukes will go very, very Isn't well. Isn't
0: going to go. Um, yeah. Nothing's going to go wrong with that.
1: Also, Bertrand du Geclan uh, dies two months before Charles V Oh, after falling ill in a siege. So it's really the end of an era. Everyone's dead. It
0: really is. Damn. Yeah. All the good ones are gone.
1: Yeah. Although we'll find there might be some new good people in the next. Yay! few episodes. <laughs> so that's the most simple summary that I could muster of the most significant events of Charles V's life. And I've got lots mm-hmm. of stuff for the rounds. So Eliza, would you be interested yes. in splitting this episode into two parts?
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, I would. Yes.
1: I mean, we'll release them probably a week apart. Yeah. But uh, I think it's best that we start splitting these up because... Yes. This is gonna get messy, into the ditch. and our next King Charles the Sixth episode will most certainly be two parts, um, yes. if not more, because he has multiple mm. regents running around. Who I don't know if Causing I'll re-
0: shenanigans.
1: I don't know if I'll review like all of the regents individually because that would be a lot of like overlap of events. Yeah, but we'll see
0: when we do the six. It'll be like six part one, regent one, six part two, regent two.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh it's going to be messy, but we'll, we'll do it. And we also have to do Joan of Arc at some point,
0: oh, at, yeah.
1: who comes in at the end of that rain, spoiler alert. Mm. Um, but uh, we'll get to it. Leaving us on a bit of a cliffhanger. Yes. That's going to be the end of this particular episode. So join us next time as we go a bit more into detail about Charles V's reign. give him his his scores and decide whether or not he deserves the gift. Decide his fate. Decide his fate. But I'm going to release these episodes quite close together, so have no fear. (laughs) So that is going to be au revoir from me.
0: Goodbye from me.